It is Friday. It is James Golden, a.k.a. Bozus Nerdly with you here on WABC. If you want to be part of today's program, all you have to do is dial the phone. That's right. We have a lot to discuss today, folks. AOC is on a roll. Well, she was on a roll. And when I read some of her remarks, I could not believe that a sitting Congress woman in the House of Representatives would actually trash police officers for doing their jobs the way that she did. Now, normally, you a prince, you, you, you know if you listen to the Friday and Saturday shows, we have our very own Her Majesty Princess Di with us. Well, Princess Di was with us for a half an hour yesterday, so she will be on with us tomorrow morning as regular, and then following following this week, back to the normal Friday and Saturday. Today, in the coming up, very shortly, yeah, I can't wait to see how this goes over. Today, we are going to have a voice coming up that you are quite familiar with, those of you who are real news aficionados. If you watched Fox News uh, for any period of time, you will recognize his voice, his face. If you are a reader of The Hill, you will recognize him perhaps from the many op-eds that he drops in that publication. Juan Williams will be here. Juan has written a piece today that I must ask him about. So he'll be here with us shortly. And your calls are, of course, welcome. Now, there is, I don't even know where to start because there's so much in the news. So let me start with this story that I had not intended to start with. And that is from the L.A. Times. It's some, some, some people, some, some of you, some people, See racist double standard in the GOP support of trucker protest. And yes, this is from a legitimate newspaper. And the, and the article starts off like, <laughs> you know who's on their brain every single moment of every day. They can't help these poor liberals. The article starts out this way. Former President Trump. Of course it starts off with that. Former President Trump who repeatedly called Black Lives Matter protesters thugs and anarchists, said there's a lot of respect for the overwhelmingly white truckers who block streets in the Canadian capital and shut down border crossings with the United States to oppose COVID-19 restrictions. Now, (laughs) I don't have to go further. Next, they go to Senator Cruz. Now, let's parse, shall we, the headline one more time. Some see a racist double standard in the GOP support of trucker protests. They see it. Yes, you know why they see it? Because they are looking for it. And whether it's there or not, They are going to see it. 
There was an article in Newsweek written by a Canadian, and the article that was earlier this week, the article said pretty much, stop calling these tr- the, this, this protest up here racist because many of the truck drivers happen to be black or, or, or belong to ethnic minorities. And the author of that piece went on to say further that the truckers have a lot of support within all of the quote-unquote black communities in Canada because they are fighting for freedom from these COVID restrictions, which affect black folks and others in ethnic groups the most because they have a higher incident of not being vaccinated. And they are the ones that are most hurt by these restrictions. So for the Los Angeles Times, there are two uh, two uh, journalists or alleged journalists that wrote this piece, Corey Williams and Sarah Burnett, to see a racist double standard in, in people supporting, in, on the GOP supporting of truckers' protest. Number one, how do they know or have they done a survey that only the Republicans support them? How many Democrats support them? What is the percentage of that? This is, this is not news. This is their opinion. And they are seeing what they want to see. Now, let's also understand this. It is not a racial issue up there. The issue is one of ideology. Does, and and also the rule of law, does the government have the right up there, like we are arguing down here, to impose these draconian measures and keep them, or should people have their freedom? There's nothing racist in the argument, unless you make the argument about race. And this is what the mainstream media does. They want to see racial conflict everywhere. Everything that they can do to stir up racial hatred against Republicans, they do. This should be an embarrassment to journalism. There's nothing factual here. This is all supposition and assumption based on their own racial biases. That's all this is. Not news. And that is typical of what you get these days in the mainstream media. There was a verdict, as you may know, in Minnesota. The family of Dante Wright are incredibly angry. Kim Potter, the police officer who said she was going for her taser, but instead pulled her gun and shot the unarmed Dante Wright to death, has been given... 24 months in jail. The maximum she could have got was seven years. But the judge, Regina Chu, even took eight months off of that for good behavior. And when you add that with the two months that she'd already served in jail, she'll be in jail for roughly a year. The family's outraged. And this the officer had a very tearful and remorseful um I don't mean to say this pejoratively, but performance in in the court when she addressed the court. And the mother of Dante Wright summed it all up by saying, white woman's tears trumps justice. And she's like her, they did not, this family did not get justice. 
And let me say to you this. I know that there are many people up there that love to pu- pull out the article that says Dante Wright, at the time of his arrest, had some legal issues. He wasn't a good person. He had done this. He had done that. And the specifics of that I've forgotten, but they weren't good, and they were definitely not good. But this is America. People have a right, if they are going to be killed by the legal system, and that would include law enforcement, they have a right to due process. An unarmed person in their car that is not resisting and not being violent and not attacking an officer that is then killed by that officer, that is something that should not happen in our society. We do believe in this country in due process. After all, we don't believe that the police, the district attorneys, or anyone else has the right to demand executions. And I'm not saying she executed. She says this was a mistake. Okay, a mistake. I mistakenly killed him. He's still dead. And the family, I think, understandably, whether you agree with them or not. And by the way, the judge said something that I found odd in this. She said that the the victim's family, Dante Wright's family, should feel should try to find it in their hearts to have empathy for the police officer. Really? She didn't say anything about the empathy that 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 Dante Wright deserved. Again, if you're going to call and tell me that he was a bad person based on previous things he did, do not Waste your time, because I know that. And you know me. Anybody that listens to this program knows I have zero, zero sympathy for those who prey on other people, the criminal class. I do not. And I don't defend the criminal class. But again, what I am defending is American justice. We have a system of laws here. If you are going to be killed by the government or by government agents, you are supposed to go through a process, due process. You are not supposed to be executed in your car while you are unarmed and you are not resisting arrest. She said that this officer said she meant to pull her taser and have her taser ready, not her gun, but she pulled her gun. Speaking of executions, Oklahoma has started executions again. And I think four months ago, and boy, they've been they've been putting that little pesky little needle in people's arms at a pretty good speed. There was a, an inmate that was executed, uh, let's see, was it yesterday or this morning? Um, and 10 a.m. this morning, I guess. His name is uh, Gilbert Ray Postel, 35 years old. He was 35, wow. He was convicted back in 2005 of killing four people. All right. I pointed out because when I read his last meal, I was just like, are you serious? I'm not laughing. The guy is now, you know, where criminals go after they're executed. But for a last meal, 20 chicken nuggets, an assortment of dipping sauces, 
three large fries with ketchup, a crispy chicken sandwich, a chicken sandwich, I guess that wasn't crispy, a large cola, and a Carmel Frappy. Now, I'm this guy was hungry before he went out. AOC. Where do you start with our very own AOC? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Congresswoman who represents parts of Queens in the Bronx. Poor Queens got stuck with this. Here's the story. The New York Police Department doing their jobs. Our brave officers in the New York Police Department. New York's finest. A department that most of us are completely proud of and in gratitude to for the service they give to New York. New York Police Department discussed 12 shoplifters that they arrested. Now, these shoplifters had been stealing diapers and baby formula in the Bronx. They stole $1,800 worth of diapers, baby wipes, laundry detergent, and other household goods, which, according to the Daily Mail, are easy to resell on the streets. Well, our dear Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has taken issue with this. Ms. Cortez says that, and this quote is just amazing. When I talk about violent conditions, this is what I mean. But hey. It's much easier to frame people who steal baby formula and medicine as monsters to be jailed than acknowledge our politics and economic priorities create conditions where people steal baby formula to survive. Well, Ms. Cortez, they're stealing baby formula to make a profit. They stole 1800 worth of goods. If you own the store that had all this stuff stolen from it, you'd feel pretty bad about that. And then you say that the police are framing people. In other words, the police are, are involved in some sort of illegal action when they arrest because they're framing people who steal baby formula and medicine as monsters. No, they're not. They know no one said they're monsters. They said they're burglars. They're criminals, and they locked them up. This woman, I don't understand how this brain functions. I don't, and 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 maybe you do. I did not go to woke school, so I don't know how woke people arrive at the conclusions that they arrive at. I just know that I disagree with them. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. If you're on the phone, stay on the phone. We'll be with you call shortly. But also coming up very soon, Juan Williams. Don't go anywhere. James Golden, right back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Bo knows politics. 
and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. W-A-B-C. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, with you. It is my pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce to you someone that you already know. You have seen him on Fox News for years. Those of you who are consumers of print news have read him in The Hill for years. This is a man that has managed to infuriate Republicans with some of his positions. And at the same time, this is a man who I just think is an incredible uh, thinker because he is unafraid to tell you what he thinks. And I'm proud to say I consider him a friend. Juan Williams, welcome. How are you? Man, what a thrill. And I'm so honored that you would invite me. Because, you know, as you said, I can infuriate Republicans. So this is a, a pleasure and evidence of the fact that you are an open mind. I appreciate it, Bo. Thank you. You're welcome. Ron, Juan, you you have written two articles I did one a few months ago. I said, Juan is going to get in trouble because you were so honest about the issues of crime and how it affects black folks. And then today, this article is a must read. Rap and drill music is part of America's racial problems. Now, rather than me try to put in words what you said, why don't you tell the audience what motivated you to write this and what is this about? I got you. So let me take a little bit of a detour and tell you how this started. Over okay. Christmas, uh, my son, uh, a, a very astute Republican, Rafi, uh, gave me a book. And the book was called Ballad of the Bullet by a man by the name of uh, Forrest Stewart. And it's an ethnography. It's a little academic. And I was thinking, why is he giving me this for Christmas? But it was about rap music. And he knew that years before I had gotten into controversies over rap music, uh, where I was very critical of the fact that they use so much of the N-word, uh, that they call women, you know, the B-word, and gay people the F-word. I mean, and so violent. And I was just, I thought this is not good for the culture, American culture, but in specific, black culture. So he gave me this book for Christmas, and I'm like, okay, what is this about? So I read it, and... This book introduces me to another kind of rap music called drill music. Now, Bo Snurdly, I think you can figure this out because you're smart. You're a very smart guy. <laughs> and, and drill here is about people drilling each other with gunfire. I'm going to drill you. I'm going to drill you. I'm, I'm going to drill you. Yeah, man. That's exactly what And so I'm like, wow. But this is about, you know, how people talk about Chirac, Chicago, Iraq. You know, there's so much violence on the streets of Chicago, especially in the poor black neighborhoods. It's like Iraq. And, and here was this guy had done a study on some of these kids. And it turns out these kids had failed out of school or the schools had failed them. They had only opportunities in terms of low-paying jobs, and they didn't want them or they couldn't get the bus ride. It took two hours to get there. They got frustrated. They didn't have the skills. But they did have the skill to produce content for YouTube and to make these very violent videos called drill music that then got picked up even by some of the big record companies because they found that this stuff sells. There was a market for it. And the market's an interesting subject. I'll go. With, I'll tell you about that in a moment. Who listens? 
But anyway, it was absolutely the case that these kids thought, saw they could get big, multi-million dollar record contracts. It made them famous in the neighborhood, even though they couldn't walk in the neighborhood because the rival drill music producers were trying to shoot them so they could be authentic, that they would show that they were really criminals and really bad men. So I was like, this is an unbelievable study, but I don't know what to do with it. Then a guy calls me, James. He calls me and he says he's doing a study about Ice-T and about music back in the 90s, and he sees that I had been on Oprah Winfrey's show arguing with Ice-T, and Ice-T was defending the use of lyrics that included things like shoving a battery up a woman. And I had said, this is vile. This is repugnant. We shouldn't be celebrating and, you know, publicizing. That's bad behavior. And he said, well, the woman liked it and people laughed. And I thought, well, you know, if that's the way it goes. And of course, since I was on that Oprah Winfrey show, rap has become the dominant genre of American music. It's the number one selling genre of American music today. And if you watched the halftime show, I didn't. So, so, well, if you had, I mean, yeah, was, you were, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here, you know, so I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, somebody should say something about what's going on, because now Mayor Adams, Eric Adams in New York, even he recently said, you know what, I've discovered drill music, and I think it's tied to the high number of shootings, black-on-black crime, young men against young men, gangs, drug dealers, whatever, but this is who's doing the shooting, and this is who's killing each other, and this is the music they're listening to. And I said, you know what, I'm going to write about this. So I wrote a piece today that appears at foxnews.com, and it, it talks about how this drill music is so insulting, so negative in terms of its influence on black America. And I, here's the other part I was going to tell you about the audience. You know, the audience for this is mostly white. So I'm, you know, obviously, you know, we can be concerned about the bad role modeling, the bad influence it has on the black community, young black people seeing these other young black people as making a name for themselves, potentially getting big record contracts, all that. But here is the thing. It, it, it perpetrates the image of black people as savage and uncaring. Nothing about family, nothing about community, nothing about love, nothing about educating and loving your children or marrying a woman. Nothing of that. And that's the image being given off. I guess it gives a big adrenaline rush to people who are listening, especially young white males. But I think it does so at a huge cost. The cost is to the black community. I think it's the cost to the white community. I think it's a cost to American race relations. Wow. Now, Juan, I have for months been saying that until we change the culture, we are not going to see a significant change in the violence that is plaguing America. We cannot have generations who glorify the so-called street life. We cannot have this glorification of wanton criminality, of murder, of sexual perversion, of misogyny. All this, We cannot glorify this stuff and have a normal society because this stuff is abnormal it is harmful and it is evil. So yeah. when I it read what toxic. you, yes, yeah. it is toxic. Now, one, where are now? Okay, excuse me. I'm going to have to get a little political here. Okay. Sorry. It's you standing up on a hill alone, and maybe Mayor Adams, empty suit, trying to follow you just a little bit, and people on our on on 
the other side of the aisle once in a while brave enough to talk about this. Most Republicans are not going to talk about this because they don't want to be called racist, even though they're going to be called racist anyway. Right. Where where are the Congressional Black Caucus leaders on this? Where are the elected officials in these blue cities where these murders are taking place at, at horrific rates and wiping out a generation? And by the way, where failing schools are allowed to continue generation after generation. Juan, do you know in New York City alone there are over 200 failing schools, most of them in black or Hispanic neighborhoods? I know it and hurt. Uh, I grew up in New York, and I feel like I must have escaped somehow because, you know, you see it's over the course of many generations, and it does damage to people. It really damages people. But I just wanted to ask the audience to, if they've got a replay button, replay what you just heard from Bo Snurdly because, to me, this is truth being spoken. I don't know where, not only Congressional Black Caucus, but, you know, where's NAACP, where's Urban League, you know, where's... Uh, action network. I could keep going. Why is it, you know, you don't see people stand up and say, this is the toxic element that is twisting so many minds in our community. This is why we see so much trouble in terms of not only young black men shooting each other, but unable to get the education they need to succeed unable to do the basic things like say, you know what, it may be a low-paying job, but I'll take it because it'll help me build a resume, help me build contacts. It's the basis for people talking about babies, mamas, and how many men I've cut and how many men I've shot and how many times I've been in jail, as if that is something of merit rather than a demerit. It's people walking around with their pants hanging down off their butts because they're acting in the and dressing in the way of prisoners who aren't allowed to have a belt, and yet that becomes fashion. This is madness. This is, somebody should stand up and scream. And you are screaming, and I am screaming. One, thank you so much. I would like to invite you to to with me. Let's do if we can maybe an hour podcast or something on this, so we can get into this in depth. If you're open to it. I'm open to you. Uh, I, as I said, I, I think, you know, sometimes listeners think, oh, these people in the media, they just talk to each other. And But I speak with genuine respect. Uh, I've known you for a long time since you worked with Rush and always admired you and always found you to be a man of your word. So thank you. I'd be and I, Juan, I call you a friend because you have been. And I know your son, Rafi. What a wonderful human being. And one of the things that you have always done, and I so appreciate, Juan, you have always treated me with respect. I know we disagree on some stuff, but you are are an amazing man, and I really appreciate you. Thank you, Juan. And we will be in touch. Let's do that podcast. Let me hear from you. Thank you. All right. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back, and I have a correction to make. And I will take your calls because some people are calling on it. But thank you, Bruce Cathy, who is one of my most trusted sources on law enforcement matters. And Bruce Cathy sent a text that Dante Wright was resisting arrest when this incident happened, which the whole complexion of that, of my remarks, changes because of that. So thank you for that correction. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, we're coming back in a moment. Oh, wow. This is early Rufus. Shaka Khan, tell me something good. You ain't got no 
Now, this was their first hit. And, of course, Shaka, after four, I, I think four or five albums with Rufus, went on to her own solo career. But I bet many of you don't know who wrote this song. This is a Stevie Wonder song. James Golden is Friday. I had a brain meltdown when the show opened. I was going to give the phone number, and my brain felt froze. So I said, just call on the phone. 848-WABC is the number to call. 848-WABC. As I said before, thank you, Juan. Uh, you, y'all can see why I call Juan a friend. I mean, we disagree on so much, and I am one of those people that gets infuriated sometimes when I read his columns, either at Fox or at the Hill or something, and I'll just be like, I can't believe he wrote this or whatever, whatever. But, but you know, it's it's all good. Um, and now, so let me address this Dante Wright thing. There have been so many of these cases that I sometimes get the details mixed up, and I apologize. I got the details mixed up on this one. There was another incident with a driver where the guy was sitting in the front seat with his girlfriend, wasn't resisting, and got shot. And I confused those two cases with the Dante Wright. Thank you, Bruce, again, for pointing out the video shows Dante Wright resisting arrest. And as I said, if you are resisting arrest, and if you appear to be a threat to the police officers, it's not going to end well. And this did not end well at all. I want to hear what you have to say on the telephones. Let's start first, though, with Doc in Brooklyn. Doc, welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden. What's on your mind? Good afternoon, James. I love you. I listen to you every Saturday morning when I'm walking my dog. And uh, I got all my guys at work listening in the afternoon. So uh, thank you. It's a good work. So uh, we're at two points. I'm glad you straightened out the uh, Dante Wright thing. I have 30 years in law enforcement. I'm retired eight years now. Uh, but with the uh, young lad in uh, Oklahoma who's been uh, who was terminated, yes. maybe I think that he possibly uh, thought he'd get a, a, a reprieve from the governor. He remembered those old McDonald's commercials. You deserve a break today. <laughs> get a break all that McDonald's food. We're laughing at somebody. <laughs> I can't believe you went there. Oh, yes, well, he has paid for his crimes. And, I mean, the guy clearly likes chicken, and everything must have tasted like chicken uh, because he had enough of it on his way to uh, pay for his heinous crimes this morning. Let us go to Andrew in Stanhope, Connecticut, right? Yes, Andrew, welcome, WABC Talk Radio 77. It's uh, Stanhope, New Jersey. Just New Jersey, okay. Juan, he's missing the point, and uh, you were too. And uh, I'll be in the podcast with you. I'm starting with a, a Fox affiliate. All right, what's the what's the point that we that we both missed that you know? Oh, it's a gl- huge uh, glacier, a mountain, 68 percent out of wedlock birth rate in the black community, caused by Juan Williams' policies, caused by the Democrat Party, who started that in the late the mid 60s. So if you're not talking about the father not being in the home, you're just spinning your wheels. But you were right about the end. But see, I I would agree with that. And what you're talking about is the is the so-called great society programs that were ushered in by Lyndon Johnson as part of the 1964, 65 
civil rights bills and, and part of, oh, let's make it up to black Americans by giving them welfare and destroying their families. So um, this, because, of course, government subsidies mean you're going to just get more of what you subsidize. So if you subsidize things and make rules that, and part of it were the, were the rules that Democrats attached to this stuff, which is if it was a single mother, then she got more money. So, okay, how do I get more money? By staying single and by getting this endless welfare. And today you have AOC demanding more welfare and blaming the police officers for locking up criminals because that's all this child tax credit is, folks. It's welfare. Because the welfare stopped coming in. And Joe Biden in the Build Back Better bull crap program couldn't get more welfare money to his peeps. That's what all that was about. Andrew, thank you. Lamar, New York, how are you? Good afternoon. I'm just, uh, I just want to say that Mr. Juan Williams anticipated my opening remarks because I was going to preface my declaration with the statement that it is refreshing and encouraging that a man like yourself, who is famous for his conservative political ideology, would actually admit in public on air that the sentence handed down to this police officer for actions that could only be called horrifically egregious, the unjustified killing of a human being, a few months in jail, this is nothing more than a wicked injustice. And I would just like to end my statement with this statement, uh, Mr. Snurdly, that uh, simply because a person chooses to seek employment in a gun carrier position in a municipality or county or state or even on a federal level, simply because a person wears a uniform and a badge, this does not imply any inherent nobility because, as we all know, good and bad people come in all shapes, sizes, colors, and professions. You have some valid points, and you also have some points that I don't agree with. If you heard me say after I issued my correcting about resisting arrest, that changes the complexion of my remarks dramatically. Look, there was a situation where the police officer, in my view, murdered uh, of the person because he resisted and, and he didn't resist. And that's I had confused that with uh, with this case. And he was just shot in the head and killed right in front of his girlfriend and baby. And I thought that was that was just nothing but an execution. But when you are resisting arrest and you're putting law officers lives in danger, it is not going to end well. We want our police officers to come home at night. And you say that putting on that, that uniform and that badge does not lend itself to any inherent nobility. I would beg to differ with you slightly. It doesn't mean that everybody that puts on a uniform and has a badge will, will live up to the inherent nobility it has. But it is an inherent nobility that these people, our brave police officers, these men and women, like these two brave, wonderful human beings, like Officer Rivera, who was killed in this city in the prime of his youth, and and joined the first and joined the police force for noble reasons, because he wanted to be a bridge between his community and the police, because he wanted to protect his fellow citizens in New York. And both of those officers that were killed in New York had that same noble streak, and they were both gunned down because of it. And yes, our police officers do have an inherent nobility. 
Now, some may not live up to it, and they don't deserve to wear the uniform. But the overwhelming majority of law enforcement officers in America do so because they are answering a higher call. And that call is to protect citizens who are weaker than themselves and who would be in harm's way. And they will put themselves, you, we should never, ever, ever, ever forget what we saw happen at the World Trade Center. When we saw our firemen and our police officers run into two burning buildings with noxious gas to try to rescue people who were on fire, who were, the, who, who were, who were jumping out of a 110-story skyscraper because they had no other choice. These people do have an inherent nobility. They are the best among us, and they deserve our support. James Golden, WABC Talk Radio 77, coming right back. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, is on 77 WABC. Y'all feel like going back to your high school days? No. I didn't have a good time in high school. No, I don't want to go back to my high school. Well, actually, my high school days weren't that bad. Some of y'all be going back a little further than that. Nah, not me. Now, grammar school in Queens, chill. James Golden, WABC Talk Radio 77. Let us go to Daniel in Baldwin, New York. Daniel, welcome. WABC, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Mr. Golden. Wonderful to be on your show. Hey, I, I just thought I caught a little harshness in your voice when you mentioned that judge in the uh, case who, who asked for some empathy for the police officer, because I felt like from the moment it happened that she was remorseful and empathetic every single moment of, of, of this whole thing. And uh, so many judges on, on the other side talk harshly about the how the how the, the, the criminals should be sympathized with and one judge speaks up in the opposite way and I I don't know I just thought Okay did you hear all of my remarks because I found it odd because the judge wasn't saying that she deserved empathy and I do think oh that the officer the judge, the judge oh. said that no 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 listen to what I'm saying please the judge said that the victim's family should show some empathy for the police officer. Now, look, their son was killed. Whether he had culpability or not, which apparently if he was resisting arrest, he had culpability, he's still dead. I find it odd that a judge would make a remark to the family of the youth saying that they should have empathy for the person that killed their son. Whether it's right or wrong, I just found it odd. That's all. I'm not, and it still sticks out to me like, wow, that's kind of an odd thing to say. I don't know whether I, I, I have any more thoughts on it or not. I just thought it was odd, and I still do. I think most people could understand that the family would, rightly or wrongly, um, you know, be inflamed by the, like, by the sentence, you know? So that's all I was trying to say, Daniel. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Let's go to Major Steve in New Jersey. How are you, Major? It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. My pleasure to have you. What's on your mind? I just wanted to kind of circle back to the earlier uh, comments. I knew you were spoke, uh, talking about AOC. And my particular point is that I hear a lot on the radio, you're, you're the one I listen to the most, and um, that all the people on the radio are like wondering why AOC is doing this. What's her motivation? 
And I think you'll agree with me is that the motivation of the vast majority of politicians on both sides, what's their number one motivation in life? To, to get reelected. Thank you, sir. And I knew you knew. I just don't hear it a lot. Yeah. So they're going to do whatever they need to do, fundraising 60% of the time, um, and they're going to bow down to the constituents. So if their constituents feel that, and I'll maybe raise, and this has nothing to do with race, but it has to do with um, one of the motivations that you heard about the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, actions were this is like reparations. You heard it more than once from people participating. Now, see, and with I this. Do believe- mm-hmm. I'm sorry to cut you off. Time short. I wanted to get to your point, though, because you raised an interesting point. Listen, I grew up in Queens, and uh, Miss Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, is the representative of very close to the district that I grew up in. And I can tell you what, the families in that district are middle-class families that do not share her values on allowing thievery to continue. And I don't know so much about the part of her district that comes in the Bronx, I will admit. Maybe it's filled with progressives. But my feeling is that most people, especially if they're above the age of 30, look upon this kind of wanton thievery with disgust. And I don't think she's... Now, I do think that she is attracting huge numbers of the woke progressives, and her fundraising shows it. She is a fundraising Congresswoman, she can raise money. So you do have a point. Let us go to Peter in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. How are you, Peter? We got to call you the brown bomber because when you start swinging, boy, look out. (laughs) I love it. God bless the mothers and fathers that lost their lives wearing the blue. Amen. But that's not my call. My call is on this. It's on Newsmax. It's a headline. Recall San Francisco school board president blames white supremacy. Put the gloves on, Bo. All right. Here's what happened there. Three of the the, the people in the San Francisco school board, and, and the one that he's talking about is a black woman who was tossed out of her job by the voters. The voters said, enough of your crap. Get out. The voters of San Francisco. So she's calling her own constituents a bunch of white supremacists. Now, what did these people do? During the middle of the pandemic, they weren't interested, these three board members, in trying to figure out how kids could learn in schools. Instead, they came in with their woke agenda. They started saying, we're going to take the names of all the racists off the schools and rename the schools. And who were the racists? They were taking off George Washington. They were taking off Thomas Jefferson. They wanted to change the name of the high schools. Well, the voters in San Francisco are like, excuse me, you idiots. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We don't want the names of the schools removed in the first place, but we are in the middle of a pandemic, and they refuse to listen. So the voters in California got mad enough, finally, to say, we need to recall these ignoramuses. So they had a recall vote. It wasn't even close. It was a landslide. They are recalled. They're done. They're fired. Kaput. Goodbye. Sayonara. Adios. Amigas. And amigos. Anyway, after the election, after they got tossed out, what does she do? She says, oh, this is the bunch of white supremacists that threw me out. Well, this is her one side view of the world, and that's one of the reasons Miss Woke was thrown out. 
Let's go to Manhattan. Let's go to Pamela. How are you, Pamela? Well, I was terribly upset when you initially started the program because I watched the entire trial on Court TV, and and in honor of of Rush, it would be great if you could do the show prep he did. Watch. All right, listen, 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 Pamela, know it all. Rush would make corrections occasionally when he got things out of order, and he did it right away, and I did that right away. I had confused this with another case. How dare you? You don't know how much prep I do. My day starts at 5 in the morning, and I start prepping for this show. You don't know how much I read, how much I do. You just sit there, whine, 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 and complain of things you know nothing about. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Love you. Call again. Bye. Let us go to uh, Olena in Teaneck, New Jersey. Mr. Golden, it's a pleasure to listen to your show. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Mr. Golden, I have an idea I wanted to share with you, or a thought of mine. And that is, we have a lot of white suit-wearing females in government who are progressive, leftist, and probably following their own agenda. And part of their agenda is no family support. Well, I have an idea. If all those women would respect their men a little more, maybe the men would stay as family people Uh instead of being frustrated husbands. Uh Uh, And why are these Uh women having them repeatedly in Uh-oh. other words this one is out the door that one is out the door Uh-oh. that one is out the door it's Uh-oh. a woman is the heart of the family Uh-oh. of the home i don't know maybe my my idea is old-fashioned but i believe Uh-oh. it's got some credibility Uh-oh. you have just really 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 upset some very liberal karens out there I can hear them right now screaming at their radios. The idea that a woman should work to please the man in her life. The, she should try to keep her man. Why, that goes against everything that contemporary feminists tell us. We don't need no men. We don't even need your sperm anymore because we got a sperm, doctor. All we got to do is go to the sperm bank and get somebody else's sperm. We don't need you in the house. We don't need men at all. We're independent. We're free. We don't need no men. Oh, my goodness. What you've just talked about is family, how to create a stable and keep a stable family. (gasps) Shocking. Thank you for the call. It's a wonderful idea. Tommy, Brooklyn, New York. Welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. Hey, good afternoon, James. You know, I just want to let you know, I'm a serviceman. I had 16 and a half years in the Army, two tours in Iraq. You know, and my daughter kind of followed in my, my footsteps. She, uh, she became a New York City cop. And I look at my son-in-law also as a cop. It, it, I'm scared for my daughter and my son-in-law. MS-13 sounds something. And MS-13 is like bolster out there. It's tremendous. And I don't know. It's just a frightening time. I don't know what's going on in our world right now. I call it bizarro land. Well, it is frightening. Tommy, thank you for your service, and we pray for your daughter's safety every day that she's out protecting us, protecting the people 
of her jurisdiction, and we pray for her safety as well as yours, and thank you for everything that you have done. There is an inherent nobility in being a police officer. There is an inherent nobility in being a fire patrolman. There is an inherent nobility, guess what, of being a sanitation worker who can keep us all safe from disease. There is inherent nobility in so many of our civil servants that protect us and keep us going. Now, that doesn't mean that James is over here loving big government because I'm not a fan of the welfare state at all and a fan of these smoochers who are in government just to smooch up as much money as they can and make life miserable for as many human beings as they can with their woke policies. But for those people who put their lives on the line protecting us, saving us, we owe them a debt of gratitude. We are New York strong. We are New York strong in large part because of those people who keep us safe. We live in the greatest city in the world. It is a challenge at times. We got a lot of woke folks out there really doing everything they can to destroy this city. We will not let them. That is Pennsylvania. That is Connecticut. That is New Jersey. That is New York. We are all New Yorkers. We are in the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed, America. God bless, God protect each and every one of you and your families. Tomorrow, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza starts at 8. John Katz is next. Katz is night. Keep it right here on WABC. Bye.